Just saying, if I could pat myself on the back. So we, we were joking that, that it would really be bad if one of the kids' numbers came up and the mother was in here. Tyler, can you turn me down a little bit? That when, if, the, if the, uh, the mother that was in here saw the number came up, realized that her husband was one of the people working in the nursery. So, so our, our pact was if a number has to go up, it cannot be any of the children of the dads that are already working back there. So, And I promised Tim that I would not tell his wife that when I looked across at the toddler's room that Hudson was in there and he had his name tag over his mouth. And I'm not going to tell the story because I promised I wouldn't. And, uh, and he hollers back across, hey Fred, I figured out what these stickers are for. But I'm not going to tell you that story because I gave my word that I wouldn't. So I'm not going not gonna to do it because I'm a man of my word. So so, you know, we're in our last week of our series, 47 Words, that we've been in together. And so I thought just before we move into the last message of this series, we, we have probably gotten more feedback on this series than any series that we've ever done as far as the impact that it's had in people's lives. So I thought we would just, just pause just for a moment. You know, we like participation here at City Life, that maybe you could throw out some things. Don't tell a big, long story, but just maybe a, something that you've learned, just a, a comment on how it's impacted your life. Let, can, let's just do that just for a second, because so many people have been talking with us. It might be uh, something they learned about a verse or something about a word or an impact that they had. Nathaniel, did your hand go up? Yeah. 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 And it's not, it's limited, it's limited because of our, you know, because of our limited resources. Yeah, just, we did a, a, one of the sermons was on this idea of extravagance and how we're made for extravagance and, and just to realize we, we, we spend our whole lives in church, right? But we're told we're, we're supposed to be measured and we're supposed to be measured in the wrong things, but extravagant and all the virtuous things. And so somebody else, somebody else, a hand pop up, something that's impacted you, something that you learned, something about the series that's made a, had an impact in your life. Greg. I wouldn't know anything about that, being angry. No. He said the idea of being patient with people and being merciful and how we so often struggle in our lives with being frustrated with people and anger wells up inside of us and just in that place, choosing to be merciful even though that's not the natural inclination of our heart. Somebody else? Somebody? Anybody else? Something that you've learned? Something that impact that the series has had on you? Anybody? No? All right. Am I missing anybody? David Godwin. Yeah, the, 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 the one that we did, let's just go ahead and put them up there, the, uh, the, the seven last sayings of Christ, the one that I thirst, we, it, we, we, we connected that one to the drink offering in the Old Testament. We don't often think of, of God having needs because he's divine, and we talked about this idea that, that perfection is certainly the absence of any need, but it's also the presence of every virtuous desire. And the, the, the desires that God has for us to come to him in prayer, to come to him in worship, that it's, it's powerful to think that we're quenching a thirst 
of the divine in those moments. And so we're going to get all the notes as we always do up online at the end of the series. And so you'll be able to go back if you missed them or if you if we move through the slides sometimes faster than you would prefer in your in your note taking, all those will be available to you. And then, of course, all the sermons are up on the podcast. So we're we're rounding out our series tonight into these last eight words, Father, into thy hands. I commend my spirit. So if you're visiting tonight and you're coming on the tail end, we started the series by talking about how these were the the 47 loudest words spoken, not because of their volume, but because they reverberate throughout history and will forevermore until the return of Christ because of the truth that's in there that should be gripping our hearts and directing our lives. We talked about this idea of what if God came to you and said, you've only got six hours left, that's it. Just six more hours to live, and I'm only going to give you 47 words to say. That's the moment that Jesus stepped into, and it should give us pause to say, if he only had 47 more words to say, surely there was an intentionality that he brought to those moments. Certainly there was truth that he wanted to convey to us. And so tonight we're going to dig around into this idea of, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. We might not get all the way through it, Tonight, for time's sake, if that's the case, then I'll blog about it. There's a, a link to the blog on our website, and I'll blog the points that we don't get to, but I don't want to rush through the early parts of it. And so if you've got your Bible, you can turn to or swipe to or however you get there, whether it's paper or screen. Luke 23, beginning in verse 44, I'm going to read a chunk out of here, and then the, the, the back part of it we're going to come back to. It says, by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock and the light from the sun was gone. And suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And those words, and with those words, he breathed his last. Now when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Verse 50, now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and the actions of the other religious leaders. And he was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and then he took the body down from the cross, and he wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of the rock. So here in this story, we find these last eight words that Jesus speaks. And I want to cue in on a few of these words as we're building to the point that I'm going to give you at the end. Sometimes we give you our big idea in the beginning. Sometimes we build up to it and give you it at the end. So I'm going to give you the big idea for tonight, the principle that we want to impart to you. We're going to save that until the end. So you're going to have to track with me to keep building along. So the first one, I want to clue in on the word then. When it, when it talks about in the text where it says then, and then it sets up something that Jesus does. It sets up something that Jesus says. Now, now sometimes that word is just a help the narrative move forward, but then sometimes that word speaks to us of what I I believe I'm calling a culminating moment. 
to culminate means it to reach the pinnacle, or it means it reaches the end of something. It reaches the full completion with the idea that it positions you for what's coming next. It's not the end of all things. It's the end of something that positions you and postures you to prepare you for what's going to come after. And that's the then in this text. It's a culminating moment. It's a pivotal moment. It means that when you're standing in this place, the decisions that you make are going to have far-reaching implications in your future. Far-reach, it's consequential would be a word that might come to mind. And so let's do, let's do some more participation tonight. What, what are some moments like that that you've stepped into? A moment that's been consequential and by, uh, by some nature. When you were standing there, you were making the decision, you knew that it was going to affect your life forever. What, what's some moments like that? Hannah, buying a house, yes, right? Because there is a mortgage payment. Sharon, the day that she said, I do, and she said it to a good one too, right there sitting next to her, George, right? The day that she said, I do, she knew that, that was a, it was a culminating moment. Her life was never going to be the same ever again. Somebody else, Steve, enlisting in the military, yeah, right? You sign that piece of paper. Your life belongs to somebody, the federal government, for a certain amount of time. Somebody else. I see a lot of military heads nodding up and down, up and down. Matt. Yeah, when you moved to Virginia to work here at the ship, that was a, a big move for Matt. First time being away from home and came all the way here to Virginia, and we're so glad that God crossed our paths. Yes, ma'am. After she graduated in 1972, come on, she went back to get her college degree. Come on, you should be, why aren't you clapping for that? What's wrong with you people? Come on. Somebody else, what's something else, a culminating moment, a, a consequential moment, Dale, when you decided that you were going to have a family, right? It's true, you bring that baby home from the hospital, you're committing to being a parent for the rest of your life, April. Yeah, wasn't walking with the Lord in decisions she made about who she was going to marry and other, and other decisions. All of us who have a season of life where we weren't walking with the Lord and the impact that those decisions even have on our today. Right? When you think about this idea of culminating moments, when you think about this idea of standing at the precipice of something and knowing that the decision that I make is going to affect me forever, it, it's weighty, is it not? There's this sense of, I want to make sure that in those moments... I get it right, because if I don't get it right, we're going to have to walk out the consequences of that mistake sometimes for a very long time. And so before we keep talking about culminating moments, I just I want to share with you Matthew 6.33, because this is an important verse for us. Seek the kingdom of God and all else, above all else, and live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. And that word everything is all-encompassing. It even means the direction that you need in moments that you stand in, especially the moments that are not culminating. Does that make sense? So people that have a tendency to over-spiritualize things, you know anybody like that, right? And they're just, they're paralyzed with fear for every decision that they could possibly make. And for those people, I say to him, Matthew 6.33, Seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. If you're going to the store to pick up some peanuts, right, 
because peanuts is my favorite snack, so I keep working. I, t- I say things like that because Sean Bay, who I think she must be working in, the, in, in kids' church, so she, one of the kids from her class, they have a family that owns a peanut farm, and I got this really nice big bag of peanuts. So it pays for me to share those things. And so, so I'm a big peanut eater. Did I say that? That I like peanuts. So if you're going to the store and you're going to, you don't have to get down on your knees in the grocery store and pray about whether you should walk down aisle 13 or aisle 14, Right? Because if you're doing that, one, for one thing, that's odd. So don't wear your City Life t-shirt if you're doing that, right? <laughs> and you might be saying, but Fred, what, what if I'm supposed to meet somebody in that aisle? And, 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 and they're supposed to, they have a word for me, or I'm supposed to impact their life. Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all things will be added unto you. The moments in time where you're just living life, stopping by the grocery store, picking up the peanuts, it's this idea of you've got to trust that God knows how to get your attention. You've got to trust that the voice of the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you if you're supposed to go down one aisle or the other or get in this line or that one or which parking space. If not, you're going to be paralyzed for the rest of your life. There's moments in life where we don't have to fast and pray. We just have to live them out and trust in the sovereignty of God. But there are other moments when someone says, will you marry me? When when you're talking with your spouse and you're beginning to have this conversation that are we ready to have children? When you're in the recruiter's office and you're making it, am I going to sign my name to this? You with me? There are moments that should be bathed in prayer. There are moments where you should seek counsel. There are moments where you should understand the significance and the weightiness of those decisions because they are going to impact your tomorrows. And that's a moment that Jesus stepped into in these last few minutes where he had to pick these last eight words that he was going to say. Jesus was not a stranger to culminating moments. He has a culminating moment in the wilderness temptation after his baptism and the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. That was a culminating moment in Jesus' life. It was pivotal. It was consequential. It was significant. How he did in that place of temptation from Lucifer was going to affect his ministry forever. The miracle at Cana of Galilee, his first miracle at the wedding reception, turning water to wine, the prayer at Gethsemane, these last eight words, Jesus understood the significance of culminating moments. He understood moments in life that were pivotal. He understood these moments where you would get to them, and what you did here would make a difference with what would happen there. Can you imagine if Jesus did everything that he had done, that we believe that he did, that's recorded for us in Holy Scripture, and he got all of the first six sayings right, but then he gets to the seventh saying. He's up to his last minute. What if he had just said, yeah, this is, I'm, I quit. This is, this is dying. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Right? What would have happened? Are you with me? It would have undone everything else that he had done. He had to finish. He had to breathe his last that's part of the sermon series that we done. He had to take that step of dying for the, even if he had done everything else, raised Lazarus from the dead, walked on water, preached the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. You with me? Even if he had done all of those things, but he had not died. The significance of the culminating moment, it's consequential, it's weighty, it's heavy, and God puts you and I in places just like that. We see Jesus in this last few moments of his life, the last few days of his life, stepping into a culminating moment. And I want to give you the three things that help you know if you're facing one of those moments. 
Because as you're walking through life, we want to give you some practical things that you can say, you know, if, if I'm facing a culminating moment, I want to know. And you can know that you're facing a culminating moment if it meets all of these three criteria. If it will redirect your future, if, it, if it's going to redefine your relationships, and if it's going to reorder your priorities. Every one of the examples that all of you mentioned satisfy all three of those. You with me? If you've had children, you know it's redirected your future. If you're a parent, you know that it's redefined your relationships. It's reordered your priority. If you've joined the military, it's those three, and you could probably add a few more. You with me? There's, there's, there's moments where you want to you have a grid so you can pass that moment through and say, whoa, I need to push the pause button here before. I don't want to just do it and see how it turns out. I want to recognize the significance. I want to recognize that this is consequential. In John 14, 28, this is what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Hey, you need to, I'm leaving, guys. I, I'm out of here. Not, not because I'm abandoning you, but because my time here is done and I've got something else that I've got to do. His future was going to look different because of the decision that he was making to leave the earth. It was redefining relationships in John 20, 17. We preach on this all the time where Mary in the post-resurrection experience, Jesus says, don't cling to me. And it's the Greek word hopto. And, and it, means to, it means to don't hold on to. And we talk about this idea of Jesus saying to Mary, hey, this is going to redefine our relationship with each other. If you think it's been good, you just, you just wait to see how much better it's going to be. People get stuck, right, holding on to the past, clinging on to what once was. For some of you who have been walking with Christ for 50 years, you're clinging on to your, your experiences of yesterday. And God's saying, hey, I, those were important, but you've got you to gotta let go of those things. I've got more things for you to experience in your tomorrows. This idea of culminating moments, it, 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 it redirects your future, it redefines relationships, it reorders your priorities. In John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus says, hey, he tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm not going on vacation. I'm not going to the spa. I've got work to do. If you believe that the Garden of Eden, that it was set in place, and that was supposed to be the greatest thing and the end of all things, and that we messed it up and God had to go to plan B, then I would humbly suggest to you that you've got to stretch your understanding of the sovereignty of God. What happened in the, in the Garden of Eden, that was never supposed to be the end of things. That was supposed to be the beginning of something, and it's the new heaven and the new earth that we read about in Revelation that God was working towards all along. And Jesus says, hey, I came to redeem the world so that you all can be with us in this new heaven, in this new earth. And you know what? I've got to leave here because I've done my work here. Now I've got to get to work there because I'm the creation agent of the Father. You read about it that in John chapter 1. It says everything that was made was made through him. Nothing was made without him. He's the creative agent of the Father. And so now he's going, he's creating this new heaven and the new earth. We don't know everything about that, but I know that if God's creating it, and Keith Green has this great song, if he made this world in seven days and he was making that one for thousands, then this is like living in a tent. He says to those disciples, I've got new priorities and I've got to be about my Father's business. There are times in your life where you step into a moment where you have to make weighty decisions and if you don't get it right, there are consequences. And God says to you, he says to me, it is no accident that the last few words of Jesus on the cross is giving us this gift of this insight. It's the moment that he stepped into because he knew that even though he was leaving, we weren't and there was going to be culminating moments all throughout our life and he wants us to get it right. All right, let's do this next one. Too big for two hands. So culminating moments, that's the first one. Learning how to recognize culminating moments, that's part of these last few moments of 
Jesus' life. Anybody here like country music? No. Anybody know the song? Yeah. I grew up in Verona, which is country, right? But I was never a big fan of country music. But my grandmother on my dad's side was a huge country music fan. The, the guy that married Amy Grant, is that Vince Gill? Yeah, she was in love with Vince Gill, right? She was in her 90s, and we'd be at, you know, some father, family gathering, and country music would, uh, would, would, would come up by way of conversation or be on the radio. Or maybe it would be one of Vince Gill's songs, and my grandmother, in her 90s, would be sitting there, she's that Vince Gill? He is one handsome man. And then she would make this noise. She'd go, mm, which was a little creepy because she was in her 90s, right? So I'm on my way to Williamsburg for a life group, laughing your way to a better marriage, amazing life group. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm on my way there Wednesday night, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm listening to, to, to a news station, and, and they, they're, they're, um, they're, they're telling the story of the song, I Drive Your Truck. I want to read it to you, okay, and then I'm going to tell you the story. Not going to sing it because that wouldn't be good. 89 cents in the ashtray, half-empty bottle of Gatorade rolling in the floorboard, that dirty Braves cap on the dash. Dog tags hanging from the rear view, old skull can and cowboy boots and a Go Army shirt folded in the back. This thing burns gas like crazy, but that's all right. People got their ways of coping, and oh, I got mine. I, I drive your truck. I rolled every window down, and I burn up every back road in this town, and I find a field and tear it up till all the pain's a cloud of dust. Yes, sometimes I drive your truck. I leave the radio playing some old country station where you left it. Yeah, man, I crank it up. And you probably punch me in the arm right now if you saw this tear rolling down my face. Hey, I'm trying to be tough. Mama asked me this morning if I've been to your grave. But that flag and stone ain't where I feel you anyway. I drive your truck. This song was written by Jesse Alexander and Connie Harrington and Jimmy Yeary, and it was recorded by country artist Lee Bryce. And Connie Harrington was, was listening to, it was inspired by a story of Paul Monty, whose son Jared, a sergeant, was killed in Afghanistan trying to save a young private who was wounded in a firefight. Jared ran out into a barrage of bullets and grenades to save a young private who had fallen on the field of battle. He went out three times, and on, the thir on his third attempt to rescue this young man, he gave his life. So his dad was telling his story. I'm telling the whole story tonight because we have a lot of people that serve in the military. And we cannot stop in moments in our services enough to say thank you to the people that serve in the military in this church. It's good. So the dad is telling this story of the first time he told this story and Connie Harrington heard him tell this story and she's a songwriter and all of a sudden this song came to her. She could not remember who he was. She tried desperately to track him down and, and find and she could not find him. But they went to work. They 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 did this song. It's it went right it went right to the top of the charts. And so it's getting all this publicity. And so people are beginning to call this gentleman saying, hey, this is your story, right? And so somebody reached out to her and said, I think, because she was publicly saying, I want to find out who this man, I want to connect with him. And so they were able to make, it was powerful. Both of them were there. Everybody's crying. I'm driving. I'm just trying to get the life group, right? And I'm not even a big crier, if you know me. I, I feel deeply, but I don't cry a whole lot, right? And so tears are well. I'm thinking, this is what people must feel like before they cry right here, right now. <laughs> it's going to happen to me. Let me get, i got to get my iPhone and videotape it. I'm crying. I'm crying. Fred's crying. I don't even like country. I'm going to go buy this album, right? 
The dad says he still can't. He cannot listen to the whole song. He said he's never made it through the whole song, not once. It's a, it's a true story. This is what he does. And he begins to tell the story about how so many military families, how they find their way to cope. And this is it's powerful. This is one of the most common things that they do. They keep the vehicle of the person that's fallen, and they just go for drives. Leave it on the same radio station. Everything that was in there just left like it was. Wow. It's weighty, isn't it? And so I'm telling that story because I hope you feel something deep right now because I'm feeling something deep. And for me, when I feel deeply, God's voice just gets loud for me. It's one of the reasons why we do so much of what we do here at City Life. We, we try to get you to a place where you feel, where something stirs inside. I cannot explain it. I do not know the theology of it. I can find a verse in the scripture. I just know that this is how it works. When, you, when, the, when your heart awakens, it's like you're dialing in, like the old World War II movies, right, where they're trying to get the noms all right so they can get the frequency and so they can hear the message come in. God is speaking all the time. It's just about us getting dialed in. So I'm riding down the road, and all of a sudden, I just, I feel, and so I just start, because I know, right? I've been walking with, I'm, this This is a big year for me, because I made a decision for Christ when I was 23, and I'm 46, so next year will be my fir- the first time in my life where I've crossed over to more years walking with Him than walking without Him. I'm in my break-even year this year. Come on. But I know when I feel deeply, I hear Him speak loudly. And so I'm feeling deeply, and so I just begin to pray. I'm praying for you, praying for the church, I'm praying for decisions that we're making. I'm just praying. And then as clear as day, I feel God's voice. Is that the saying as clear as day, right? Couldn't remember. I like, we talk about sayings a lot because one of the things I love about Vanessa is she makes us laugh as a family because she always gets the sayings mixed up, right? <laughs> Little sidebar here, commercial break. So, so if you, you might have heard me tell the story before when we first got married. One of the sayings that we had all the time growing up was six one, half dozen of another. Anybody use that saying? When you're in a, a discussion, right, in your family, and you're arguing about discussing two ideas, and you're trying to help the other person realize they're both the same. And we would, at some point, someone would always say, it's, it's six one, half dozen of another, who cares, right? So I remember one of the first times Vanessa and I were having a discussion as a new married couple, and, uh, and, so this, and she throws it out. She says, well, Fred, it's just, it's six of one, twelve of another. And I said, well, that's my point, right? <laughs> One's better. And she just walked away, frustrated. I don't know what just happened here, but I don't like it. So this week we were, we were joking around. We, we laugh a lot as a family. We were joking around with our kids, and Vanessa looked at the kids, and she said, oh, yeah, yeah. I am smart as a tack. And we said, well, tacks aren't very smart. It's I'm sharp as a tack or smart as a wit. Right? And she said, yeah, one of those. That's what I am. <laughs> one of those. And so I just had to slip that in. So, so I'm riding on the road. Clear's, clear's day. I feel God speak to me. He said, Fred, I never heard his voice, but I feel it. He said, Fred, I see the dream that the City Life Church has dreamed. I see it. I see the impact that you all have envisioned together as a church family that you want to have in this region. I see it. And I see the impact that you're having. And I see the gap that's between the two. And I said, you can call it a gap. I call it a chasm. But if you want to be nice, I, I like the word gap. I'll use that. Right? I, I keep, this is what he spoke to me on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. He said, Fred, don't you, got, don't, don't you dare dream a smaller dream just so that you can have the satisfaction of saying that you accomplished something sooner. Don't you do that. Don't you do that. So I'm just telling you, we're going to dream. You can clap. It's a reluctant clapping night, isn't it? I'm not sure if I should. Maybe I'll just clap a little bit, and that way if nobody else does, then I won't. 
feel self-conscious. Too big for two hands. That's the dream that God has dreamed for you. It needs to be a dream that's too big for two hands. He wants you to dream a dream that's so big, it's going to require other people to be involved in it. Because that's the kind of dream that Jesus dreamed for himself. This, this idea of, 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 of the moment that Jesus stepped into, it's, it's a powerful moment. Because when we begin to look at who Jesus is, we realize that the dream that he had, it required the help of other people. Now, I know that messes with our concept of divinity and perfection, and I can't explain it to you. I can just tell you what I read in the text and what I read in the life of Christ. And what I see is that his dream, his destiny, needed other people to be involved. It needed other people to be involved. It was a dream that was too big for two hands. And so here in Philippians 2, 5 through 7, it's, it's known as the Greek kenosis chapter, which in the Greek means to empty oneself out. It says you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God is something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position. And you can keep reading it. It just talks about how Jesus emptied himself out. How does that happen? He's divine. There was a moment in heaven. This is one of my questions. I got questions. I hope you have questions when you get to heaven that you want some answers to. This is how, how did that? I'd like to know how that happened. How do you take the glory out of the Son of the living God? How do you do that? How do you take, how do you separate him? Right? So I brought a little illustration tonight. Anybody know what this is? Right? For people who fall asleep when I'm preaching, I'm just going to have that in my back pocket. It's called a bullet puller, right? So, you know, I'm a sh I'm, I've gotten involved in shooting, and I've, I've just started loading my own ammunition as of recently. And sometimes you make a mistake, or sometimes the machine makes a mistake with the round that you load. And you, wanna, you pay money for all those components. There's four components. There's the projectile, there's the brass, there's the primer, and there's the powder. And you want to be able to separate that stuff out once you put it together if it's not going to work the way that it's supposed to. Maybe it's too long, or there's some type of, of, of uh, imperfection in the brass that would be dangerous. And so what you do is you, you take this little ring right here and they have different sizes and you put your bullet in there and so that the bullet is pointing down and you screw it in nice and tight and then you just start right you got safety glasses on and you know things like that to be safe but all of a sudden the inertia of this little hammer right it just comes apart inside of there so I got to thinking this week I wonder if they've got a glory puller up in heaven right See, you're going to get to heaven, and you're going to see this thing that looks like a hammer as a monument in heaven. You're going to go, yeah, I know what that is. That's a glory puller. An angel's going to go, how did you know that? And my pastor, he's, you know. <laughs> he's here, right? I just want to make sure he's here, right? <laughs> what did they do? Did they, did they put Jesus in this thing, and Gabriel and a couple of seraphim just start banging him, right? On the streets of gold? His glory just popped out. That's how it works. It's a glory puller. How does it happen? How does divinity separate itself from what it is so that it can come and be here in this world with us? How? It's a dream that's too big for two hands. John 17, 4 through 5, we see Jesus talking about this thing. This is a prayer. He's at the end of his days. He says, hey, I brought you glory here on earth, Father, by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. What's he doing here? He's clarifying that he's going to be able to get put back together, right? 
they got the glory puller in heaven. They've got the glory loader where it just kind of puts all the pieces back together and makes him whole again. This is Jesus saying to the Father, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page here, right? That what I've laid down, it's going to be given back. I'm going to be restored. This is one of the great moments in Scripture. It's another sermon for another time about the preexistence of Christ. That's what sets him apart from every other religious leader who's ever walked upon the face of this earth, that he existed before he came in a physical form. Everybody else got their start just like we did. It's too big for two hands. Luke 23, 46. What does he say? I entrust my spirit into your hands. As big as Jesus' hands were, they weren't big enough for him to fulfill his destiny all by himself. And when the glory was empty out of out of him in heaven, the eternal part of who he is was entrusted to the hands of the Holy Spirit who put him in the body of Mary. And how did that happen? They shrunk divinity down to fit into an embryo. Come on. Are you with me? It's huge. So now you've got this idea of his physical body being entrusted to a woman. And then once he was born, his well-being was entrusted to a family. Are you with me? I mean, it's not as though Jesus was just doing all that stuff on his own. His, his life was entrusted to the hands of others. The dream that God has dreamed for you and the life that you're supposed to live, if you can do it by yourself, then it's not the dream that God's dreamed for you. And if you think that you can, you will fail. Because the dream that he's dreamed for you, if the dream that Jesus dreamed required other people to be involved, how much more should it draw other people in for us? Oh, and it just keeps going. It just keeps going. Come on, God's word is so rich. Luke 23, beginning in verse 50. It says, Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph, and he was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decisions and the actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for what? He asked for Jesus' body. Because Jesus wasn't with his body anymore, but his body was an important part of the story. You with me? You ever? It's rich in this. This is rich. His body was an important part of the resurrection story, but he wasn't connected to his body. He wasn't doing the Jedi thing and controlling. His body was entrusted to some people, that they would get it to the right place at the right time. So when he was ready to come back into that body and it would be glorified, and the first resurrection, the true resurrection of a heavenly body, he had raised people from the dead, but only to die again. This is the first time someone's been raised to life, never to die ever again. His body was entrusted to Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea because the dream was too big for two hands. You have a dream that God has dreamed for you and it should be so big that when you look at it, there should be something inside of you that says other people need to be involved in this. And then the beauty of it is you begin to realize as God begins to connect people's lives together that the dream that you've dreamed, the dream that they've dreamed, that God has given to you, that you begin to be the hands for each other. It's not like you're laying yours down to pick somebody else's up. God just connects it all in together because that's what God does. And just in case you're wondering how it turned out for Jesus, Paul gives us a little insight. 
Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I invite the worship team to come back up, and I'm just going to give you this third one, then I'm going to blog about the fourth one. Culminating moments, dreaming a dream that's too big for two hands, and having the courage to trust. You might be here tonight, and you're saying, Fred, I get everything that you're saying. I recognize this idea of stepping into culminating moments, and I recognize this idea that sometimes my destiny is going to bring me to a culminating moment where I've got to make a decision, and part of that decision is going to have to be recognizing that I can't do this thing by myself. And in that moment, you're going to have a commending moment, just like Jesus had a commending moment. Commend means to trust. Where Jesus said, I commend my spirit to you. Trust is what pulls it all together. You might be here tonight and you say, Fred, don't ask me to trust because I've trusted people before. I've trusted churches before and they've only ever hurt me and they've only ever failed me. And so I've just decided I'm going to make it through this life, but I'm not ever going to step into a place of trust. If you don't ever step into a place of trust again, then you'll never fulfill the purposes that God has for you. If Jesus' life was a study in anything, it was a study of betrayal. It was a study of betrayal. Even before this world was created, Lucifer in heaven betrayed the heavenlies. Jesus has been around betrayal his whole life. Judas, Israel, John 1 says he came into his own, but his own received him not. Rejection, betrayal. You've got Peter, one of his closest, betrayal. You don't see Jesus on the cross saying, God, I can't trust anymore. No, no, no. He says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I've been betrayed. I've been hurt. I've been wounded, I've wept, but I will not stop trusting. I will not stop trusting. You cannot stop trusting in this earthly realm. There's this verse in Deuteronomy. All right, Mike, there it is. Deuteronomy 32, 30 says, How could one person chase a thousand of them and two people put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless their Lord had given them up. Now this is an important verse and some people say, well that doesn't really teach the principle of multiplication of effort because it's really about the gain we get because God is on our side and that's true, but if there wasn't a principle of multiplication when people trust each other, then it would have said one person can chase a thousand of them and two people can do two thousand, but that's not what it says, it goes from one to ten. So even with God's help, which we're desperate for, which we're desperate for, when you trust yourself to the help of others, it just multiplies. It just multiplies. Stand with me. So this is the big idea I want to give you tonight. Your destiny, your destiny is desperate. My destiny is desperate. Your destiny is desperate for you to know how to trust the right people with the right things at the right time. That's the principle you've got to be willing to live by. My destiny is desperate for me to know how to trust the right people with the right things at the right time. I think when Jesus was on the cross with his last earthly breath, that's the message that he was sending to us. He was saying to the world, hey, as I'm leaving, you've got a destiny. The heavens have dreamed a dream for you. Make sure that you know how to trust the right people with the right things at the right time. last. 
So this is what I want to do tonight. We've got a few minutes packed on to the end of the service. If, if you're facing a culminating moment in your life, I don't know what that means, but just you know what it means because of all the things that we've talked about. You just know you're standing in a place of weightiness. You're standing in a place of decision. I'm just going to invite you to find a place up here at the altar. We're going to do a couple of songs here at the end. We just want to be able to be in God's presence. And then I'm just, I'm going to walk around a little bit. I have some oil here. Maybe you've never seen that before. The Bible talks about anointing people with oil. It's nothing magical about it. It's just a symbol. It's just a symbol of the presence of God on your life. So if, if, if you're in a culminating moment and, and, and you want someone, I'm just going to invite you to come. There are going to be people on the side if, if you want someone to pray with you. But I'm just, if you want someone to anoint you with oil and just to pray over your life, if you're facing it, I'm just going to invite you to just come. Just as you come, as we sing, you come and stand in his presence. Let's worship together. Yeah.